Lorraine. Um, my, when my son was about six months old, he started to um, come up with bruises and unexplained bleeding. And he was diagnosed with a blood disorder. Simone. Well, I'd had five years' experience working in the health system as a registered nurse, and then my son was diagnosed with autism at age three, so I resigned from my job to devote time to his early intervention. Fiona. So it was a Wednesday. I was called into a meeting at the hospital. Child Protection Services were present at that meeting, so were hospital staff, and they told me that they already had a court order to assume the care of my child and that I wasn't able to remove him from the hospital. Lorraine's children have been diagnosed with a range of complex disorders. Simone's two children had symptoms of autism and were improving under her care and the care of the doctors she was working with. Fiona brought her second child to the doctor because he was failing to gain weight. So I followed everything that the doctor said to do in regards to the blood disorder. And then once my son was taken out of my care, the paediatrician said that it was a positive-negative test and that he doesn't in fact have a blood disorder and that there was never any tests done, no blood tests done for him to be diagnosed with a blood disorder. It wasn't until we produced the pathology test showing that he had been diagnosed with it. And then of course, um, it was stated, oh, but that's just a positive negative test. That's nothing, he doesn't really have it. But I'm only going on what the doctor said at the time that he was tested and there is a pathology test there proving that he was in fact diagnosed with a blood disorder. And I was also told about a program by another mum where uh, preschool fees would be paid for. Uh, she, she had a child with autism and she was on this program and so I signed up for it but I didn't realise unfortunately it was a program for children who were at risk of being removed by child protection services. A, a colleague of mine who had a child with autism or, or gut issues said to me when I was having trouble with my son's digestion, be careful because anyone whose child has digestion issues is automatically... Um, questioned at some point that they have Munchausen by proxy. And this completely went over my head because I couldn't see the connection. As a nurse, this child has gut issues. Well, obviously it's a physical cause. How could that now be blamed on a psychological issue? And I had no knowledge of what MVP was at this stage, but um, I remember that conversation uh, two years later when we, we were being accused of poisoning our children by giving them vitamins. 
leading up to that, a doctor that had never treated my son um, came to give what I was told was a second opinion. And so he came and spent an hour and a half with my son and I, and he wrote a report, quite a lengthy report, um, to the court stating that my son, that he believed that my son was a victim of Munchausen syndrome or a proxy and that he should be removed from my care. So Roy Meadow was the paediatrician who first coined the description um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy and I believe that was in 1977. It really didn't take hold as a diagnosis used widely until 1991 when a nurse in the UK, Beverly Aylett was convicted of being a perpetrator of Munchausen syndrome by proxy against patients that she was caring for. Um, so the flow on effect from that was that other paediatricians believed that they were finding cases of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Um, Professor Roy Meadow was directly involved in my matter. The paediatrician that was responsible for removing my son from my care wrote a letter to Roy Meadow and Roy Meadow made a diagnosis that Charlie was a victim of Munchausen syndrome by proxy based on the letter written by the paediatrician. At no time did Roy Meadow ever see Charlie's medical records, never saw Charlie himself, never met me, never spoke with me. He based his diagnosis purely on the letter and report provided by the paediatrician here. Munchausen's by proxy, or MSBP, is defined as a process in which a carer makes up or causes illness or injury in a person under their care. The DSM-5, commonly known as the Psychiatric Bible, has now categorised it under factitious disorders. I'm Suzanne Rath. I'm a journalist and film producer. I'm also a qualified physiotherapist. I first learned the stories of some of these mums when I read a piece by Mark Whitaker, published in the Sydney Morning Herald back in 2012. In this, Whitaker described the complex medical issues of children who had been removed from their parents' care. There were families fleeing states to avoid CPS. Sometimes, their only crime was to seek a second opinion on a medical diagnosis. It seemed almost unbelievable until I met Dr. Helen Hayward-Brown, who introduced me to some of the women involved. Over the years, I've been contacted by many, many families who have found my work on the internet or they've found my commentation in the media at times. I'm not always that easy to find because I don't really want to have a really high profile, but I've found that I have become the repository for these women's stories. I've been in a position to see the patterns of what's happened to these families. So in Australia, I've probably looked at over a hundred or so cases. Some of them I've looked at in intense depth. Other cases I might only speak to the parent on a, on a one-off basis or a few times and then they get legal help and they're okay and I'm able to delegate the issue out to somebody else. So I've really dealt with quite a few families. What I'm finding is that in 15 to 20 years ago, parents were accused when nobody actually knew what was wrong with the children. 
These days what's happening is the children have diagnosed illnesses like immune problems or mitochondrial disorders, but the parents are still being accused of Munchausen by proxy, even though the children have these recognised diagnosed illnesses. One of the questions that people always ask me is how on earth do you know if these women are innocent or not? It's not a magical quality that I have, it's just that you have to be forensic about it. So I will look at the notes very, very carefully and you will listen to the mother very, very carefully as well. And when you put the whole narrative together, usually it's very, very clear that the mother is innocent. What's happening is that there's a lot of sloppy note-taking and file-taking and in particular, people simply do not listen to what the mother is saying. Helen and the mother she meets report the systems they battle are complex and difficult to navigate. Children's courts are closed to journalists and the public, making accurate reporting difficult. Doctors are afraid to speak against others in their profession, with many describing it as career suicide to stick up for a mum accused of MSBP. You'll hear Lorraine's husband Brett's voice in the following clip all words that get used in the pattern of someone that's been accused of MSBP. Not, okay, yes, there's that, that accusation there. Let's base this on the symptoms you're putting forward now. Let's see if we can find out what's happening with you now and we'll take it from there. If we can't find anything, then we may need to assume that you're malingering. There's none of that. It is, no, you're malingering. Don't think you're getting anything from me. I'm not going to give you any prescriptions. There's nothing wrong with you. You need psychological help. And this is a repetitive thing, which is why it came to the fact that we had to go out of our state into another state, which has been hugely expensive and find someone that was prepared to listen. My wife's got missing teeth due to the illness she has and they're basically breaking away from out of her mouth. We went to a doctor to see that in a doctor's appointment. She opened her mouth, the doctor looked inside and said, oh yeah, you've got MS, read, read the file that she had MSVP and said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you and you need to leave. Are the doctors too afraid to treat you? Has your case become too political? Yeah, the one thing that we have heard um, a, a number of times actually is that it's career suicide. It, it, from the doctor's mouth, it is career suicide. And we have been told, have you thought of, you know, we can't tell you what to do, but have you thought of maybe moving out of the state? Why should we have to move away from where I should be entitled to be able to get healthcare like everyone else and be in the same state where I can see my children. Department of Child Protection um, wanted me to participate in a some inpatient psychiatric assessment with my two children. So my eldest daughter who was still in my care and the baby. Um, I did that. I was told that if the psychiatrist recommended at the end of that inpatient stay, recommended that Charlie be restored to our care, that he 
would be that the department would take their recommendations from, um, from the assessment. At the end of that three week inpatient assessment that I was videoed probably 24 hours a day and um, like I said, I participated for three weeks. Um, at the end of that, the psychiatrist wrote a report stating that it would be abuse of Charlie to return him back to foster care. And on the final day of that inpatient stay, we had a court appearance and the department pursued keeping him in foster care. Do you think it's strange that they removed your son Charlie, but your eldest daughter remained in your care? It's something that's, that I've always thought was quite strange. My daughter was only two years old when Charlie was removed from my care. So if you can't care for a child, you can't care for any child or children. And when I put that to the paediatrician, the paediatrician said, maybe I secretly wanted to have a girl when I was having Charlie. Some mothers actually confess and say that they're guilty because they're blackmailed into it. A parent might be told, if you don't confess to this, if you don't admit to this, you'll never see your children again. So when a mother is placed in that position, she will seriously give thought to making a false confession in the wrong belief that she will see her children. But in a number of cases, what happens is they make that confession, which is a false confession, and then they find that their children are removed anyway. I was told that that was the only way that I was ever going to get my son returned to my care if I made a confession. And so what did you do? I continued to tell the truth. And do you think that that worked against you? De definitely. At the time that her second son was removed, Fiona was still in a relationship with her children's father. However, in court, she was described as a young, single mother. The strain of the legal battle took its toll on their relationship and it eventually ended. Simone also feels the Department of Children's Services tried to come between her and her husband. It was one of their strategies to try and weaken us. Um, they, I mean, my husband knew that we'd done nothing wrong and, but Child Protection tried to make out that I was mentally unstable and and that I was giving the children vitamins um, and that the vitamins were to make them sick somehow. I don't, this, there's no logic to this. I, I don't know how they came up with that idea. Um, but it, it put a huge strain on our relationship because uh, Child Protection wanted me to say that I had done something wrong and they would give the children back, but I wasn't going to do that because I hadn't done anything wrong. I didn't see why I should say that I had. And as time went on though, the kids have been away for weeks and my husband said, look, let's, let's just say that we did something wrong just to get them back because they'd said they will get them back. And I didn't want to do that, but they wore us down um, after eight weeks. Um, they were talking about, they were planning for um, the next year with my son going off to school, and this was still six months away, so I knew that, that they were 
trying to um, get permanent removal. And they'd actually said that. If we sign a piece of paper saying the children were at risk, they'll give them back. And if they don't, we won't see them until they're 18. So um, we, it had cost us a lot of money. It cost us um, 110,000 in legal fees at this stage. And we were emotionally exhausted as well. So, and we, we just could see the harm it was doing to the kids. And I just, uh, CPS wanted to keep fighting in court and delaying and getting cases adjourned. And so we just eventually agreed to sign uh, that the children were at risk to get them back. I've uh, never really been happy about the fact we were forced to sign that. I, I feel we were, it was, it was extortion. We didn't have a choice. Dr. Mark Donoghue is a Sydney-based doctor who specialises in integrative medicine. He has diagnosed and treated illnesses which other doctors have failed to take the time to see. Well, I was dragged into this, kicking and screaming with a, a case, I think now close to 20, 25 years ago on the Central Coast. Uh, a patient that I'd known for many years on the Central Coast. The accusation was made in the, I think it was early 90s, that this person had a child who I'd seen with desperate allergies, unexplained illness, recurrent infections. We'd worked through this and got the child somewhat better. Now, I left the Central Coast. The person went back into normal medical care because there were no other doctors in that area on the Central Coast. And pretty soon, those illnesses that we had explained adequately for some years became inexplicable illnesses, medically unexplained illnesses sit there as a challenge to doctors because either the doctor is weak and doesn't know what's wrong or something else is to blame. And so I got called into this because this person asked me, can you tell the doctors I'm not harming my child, they just don't understand what's going on. So this Munchausen's by proxy was just the label that had been applied to her. There's enough doctors around that they need to make a career out of something. Some people like to be heard. And I, I'm, you know, I'm part of that same scene. Some doctors like to be very quiet, others like to be heard. The idea of classifying something that was previously unclassified is important. I could give you a context. Back in the 70s, I was studying medicine at Sydney University. We were in the old children's hospital in Alexandria there. At that time, kids were being brought in by parents with broken arms, beaten up, bruised, clearly battered, and we paid no attention to that. We just treated the bruises, did everything, sent them back home. And there was an entire, it was almost like we were too embarrassed to raise the issue of actual physical abuse with the parents. We didn't want to be involved in that. Our job was doctors, we just did that. So we ignored an enormous amount of physical abuse and went about our business. And there was a shared guilt of our profession. We knew that we had failed to protect children. Then a categorising comes along to say, hey, maybe you didn't make that terrible an error. Maybe this is people seeking medical attention. That can explain a part of it. And so we have gone the other way to say all unexplained illness and disease, rather than explain everything away as just another medical illness, we go the other way and say everything that isn't explained must belong to that parent. There must be abuse going on. And we see the shadows of what we were so scared of at that time. Every time we see something that's unexplained, we want to give, you know, we want to blame somebody, and the parent tends to be the one blamed. So I think the cultural context is we went from never noticing abuse 
to seeing abuse absolutely everywhere. And what's the context? The context is we can't explain it, so therefore it must be someone else doing something, something that we can't explain. This has happened throughout history. Doctors had time to really sit down and talk to people honestly, openly, face to face. We have entered a medical system now which is 10, 15, 20 minutes. Complex issues have to be resolved in a short period of time. We have a time pressure on us with a disease care system, Medicare in Australia, that is unreasonable to do that. And doctors, bluntly, just don't have the time to sit down with mother, father. We used to visit homes. We would see the context of what was going on, the stresses, the circumstances of the home. We don't do that now until you're already in the child protection area, whereupon the home visit is to gather evidence to blame whoever is guilty for whatever the problem is that we've seen. We don't go into it to discover the environment and to provide advice and to lead a person through. We go into it to blame somebody and gather evidence and reinterpret it in ways that will make a person appear guilty for whatever that problem is. So I, I would say the number one thing is time and wisdom. I see my own profession losing wisdom and losing time, and the two are related. Spend hours with a person, you understand them deeply, and you can provide advice deeply. Fail to understand them, and they just become a problem that you need to solve with a new category. Fiona was too afraid to complete her interview. However, she gave us permission to tell her story. Lorraine's two children are still in care. Lorraine and her husband have been forced to leave the state to seek medical treatment for her as her condition is critical. Simone and her husband got their children back, but she still suffers the repercussions of them being removed. Um, parents aren't allowed to talk about what happens in the court process um, because they can be gagged or they can be charged. Um, and, and then a lot of people don't want to talk about it either because um, they may take my husband's perspective they, they want to forget about it and move on. Uh, and they also might think they're going to be judged for speaking about it. This is the new normal now. Um, that was life before, where everyone was happy and carefree. And now this is where you need to be careful what you say. And also, um, because my son hadn't, or my kids hadn't started school when all this happened, but now they have started at school and CBS have said that um, I'm a bad parent and so I had to put up with um, some teachers being quite rude to me. Now I've been there for about five years, four or five years. Um, I think they get to know me and I participate in the reading groups and volunteer and they, they have more of a respect for me, but it's always on the file. So you, you could always just got to be careful that things aren't misinterpreted. I try and get everything in writing. I communicate via writing so I can't be accused of having said something that, that they've misunderstood. Um, for me, it's important to get across to other parents out there that are having trouble with diagnosing their children just how the quickly the carpet can be pulled under you, out from under your feet and, and the impact that it can have on your life if you have illnesses yourself and your children can just be pulled out from your care 
as quick as look at you. It's important that people out there need to know. I have no doubt in my mind that genuine cases of that uh, do exist. However, in our case, speaking from our perspective, this isn't a genuine case and we need help. <laughs>